0: Hello and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, last week we began talking about the manifestations of the Spirit. So let's go first of all over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at a keynote scripture there 1st Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 says now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I do not want you to be ignorant you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities. I like the word workings. uh, That's the way it's translated in other places. But it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And then he lifts nine manifestations of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit manifests himself the holy spirit is not god's silent partner amen you would think some places you you might go that the holy spirit is just uh only exist in creed amen and uh but the holy spirit is is a divine person and he's very active and he is the one who is uh directing the church he is the lord Jesus' personal representative jesus said your hearts are troubled because i'm going away but what you don't understand he said it's necessary it's absolutely essential that i go away because if i don't go away then the helper can't come but if he comes he will guide you into all truth amen so the helper is here and and he manifests himself and so every church should be conscious of his presence and we should entertain His presence. Entertain the manifestations of the Spirit, the workings of the Spirit. Amen? And uh, so this scripture talks about the manifestations of the Spirit. And, and they list, he lists nine different gifts of the Spirit. And uh, in verse number 11 it says, One in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Notice it doesn't say if he wills. It says as he wills. And then and then turn back to the second chapter of the same epistle, second, the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. And verse number one says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything you among, except among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but, and you could add the words, my speech and my preaching, were in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being preached uh, or the word, the gospel being preached with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the way it's supposed to be preached because the Holy Spirit Uh, brings power. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so God is all about demonstrating himself and manifesting himself. Amen. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're spirit filled people in uh, Pentecostal tradition, you might say. And, uh, you know, if you, if you listen to, uh, uh, the media, sometimes social media, you know, there'll be funny memes that'll go up, you know, that'll show a, a Pentecostal church and people are just running wild and jumping over pews, and, and uh, it's been lampooned in in, in uh, TV shows and movies, and you would get the idea. That Pentecostal people just get all worked up and it 's just a bunch of emotion and hilarity and 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 uh, uh, and just you know people working themselves up and that there's there 's no nothing about God in that. well, is that true? Pentecostal services can be very lively amen, amen. and many things happen because the Holy Spirit manifests himself and demonstrates himself and we 're not We're not led by our our emotions and we're not governed by our emotions, but our emotions are part of our life. And uh, whenever you get thrilled with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to do more than just sit in your chair and nod your head. Amen. If you uh, watch football on Saturday, uh, you, you do more than just nod your head and say, that was very nice. Did you see that pass? Wasn't that good? Yes, that was very nice. No, no, you, you get into it because you enjoy it. And, and so there's nothing wrong with that. Religion has said that you have to check emotion at the door when you come into the church. And tradition has, has made a God out of our intellect. That if everything has to be strictly on an intellectual level in our worship and, and everything about, about meeting together has to be on a completely intellectual level. Well, God gave us minds, and, but, but he also gave us feelings. Yes. And sanctified feelings, sanctified emotions are a precious thing. And so the Holy Spirit will move in these areas. And, and, uh, and we have a lot of precedent for it in the scripture. And so we talked about different uh, uh, demonstrations of the Spirit last week we started talking about we talked primarily about people falling out under the power of god and uh you know I, 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 on on that uh, along that line i read to you from charles finney's autobiography how uh, that he went into a town in, in New York and and how he was preaching and and uh, if you were here last week I won't go into all that and uh, he was preaching a, a really a supernatural meds, message to them because he he talked about the wickedness of Sodom and that little hamlet was called Sodom and uh, and so and the one righteous man in the town's name was was Lot and so uh, you know we he talked about how that as he preached that people just begin to fall out of their chairs. He said if he had had a sword and two hands, he wouldn't have been able to cut the people out of the chairs as quickly as they, as they fell. He said, "In, a, in a, I think he said in a matter of two minutes from the time it started, everybody in the building was, was on the floor except this one man named Lot. He was sitting in the middle. And uh, he said, uh, uh, so he described that. So we talked about that. And then we went on and talked about some other things that I'm gonna make reference to a little bit in more detail later. But we talked about... Uh, I read from, from Reverend Barton uh, Stone, uh, he wrote about the Canes the, uh, Ridge, Kentucky camp meeting in 1801. So this happened, you know, what I read to you last week, these things happened uh, just after the founding of our nation, just after the, 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 the uh, Constitution was ratified and everything in the early days of our nation, uh, these things. And what would happen in those days, you know, there was a great revival, a great awakening in the colonies uh, prior to the revolution, and uh, and a lot of people got saved, in, in uh, a lot of the big cities, and in in, uh, in the uh, in the New England area, and it really shaped the spiritual consciousness of the men who uh, who founded our nation. They were greatly impacted by that. But as you know, when I've taught on rev- revival, the reason we have to have revival is because people always backslide. Now you don't have to. And I don't have to, but I'm saying historically people backslide. Israel, their, their history was, was, was uh, backsliding, being called back to God, repenting and, and, and restoring fellowship and the blessing of God. And then they would grow uh, uh, lazy and, and uh, worldly and begin to follow after the things of the flesh. And they would backslide and that whole cycle would start and have to be repeated all over again. Uh, well, the church uh, uh, goes through periods of revival and backsliding. Well, you know, by the uh, early 1800s, a lot of that fervor that had uh, that that was so important and so uh, uh, so much shaped our nation, a lot of that was gone, and people settled. Here's what happens in between revivals: people settle into a form of religion. They get satisfied, sort of like what, like Mark was talking about tonight, you know, just, you know, just doing enough to get by. And they lose their zest and their zeal and their fervor. Really, they lose their love for God. So in the 18, early 1800s, uh, people started, uh, there was a phenomenon that, that I think really started in the United States of having camp meetings. And what that involved is people would, uh, people were very hungry. Not everybody but the people who were hungry, there were people who just weren't satisfied with the status quo. they had a sense that there was more for them than just ordinary Christianity where you just lived your life and lived a good life and and, uh, and and went to church and everything was just nice and and uh, and, and predictable they they just sensed that 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 there was a, an experience and a place in God where there was a deeper Walk with God. So they were hungry for this. And so what would happen is... Uh, uh Parents, you know, would load the kids up, you know, and the children, and put them in covered wagons, you know, and they would leave the city or the towns wherever they were, and they would go to a designated place out in the country. This happened in, in a lot of places, and uh, this one was in was in Kentucky, a very famous camp meeting, Kings Ridge Camp Meeting, and they would go out and they'd find an area, you know, in the countryside where there were there was some pasture land, you know, some meadows and hills, and they would have several speakers that had been prearranged they would come and they'd set up you know a small platform you know to preach on and they'd set up you know a a brush arbor you know with some poles and they would put some sort of like thatch roof you know type thing just put branches and and uh, so forth over it and they had no PA system they had no electricity had no electricity whatsoever out there and so the people would camp they'd bring their wagons you know and they'd bring and they would camp for a week or so uh, you know during during the the nice you know part of the year when the climate was nice, and they would just spend all of their time in the Word of God. People would be there. Would be one person preaching over here, you know. Be another person, you know, through the meadow over here, another place, in another clearing. Be somebody else preaching at a at a later hour, and then later there'd be somebody else, and so they would go from one station to a neck to the next, and they would listen to preaching, and they would sing hymns and and worship, and and the kids, you know, they would enjoy you know going because they got to hang out, and they would have games, and they would play, and and uh, and it was kind of fun for the young people children because it got them out of their little, uh, their little community and, and all of the friends they had, they had known and grew up with and their, their kin focus uh, and they exposed them to a new set of, of kids you know and they would look forward to going every year and, and, and reuniting with some of their friends they met the previous year. That's where youth camps came from, came directly out of that and, uh, and not only that, that's where family camps came from. Uh, particularly up in the in the uh, northern states, you know, there were there were the the camps, the family camps that uh, that that uh, uh, sprouted and, and you know grew up, you know, in uh, earlier times. And the wealthy people, they would leave the big cities and they would take their vacations in the summer and they'd go to a big lake and they had a big you know they had a big uh, 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 community. Uh, you know, kitchen, you know, cafeteria, and the people would have cabins, and and they would spend their their time there in the summer. And some of them were were related with, uh, or are or, uh, uh, overseen by religious organizations, and some weren't. When we were in in uh, Gatlinburg uh, the last two or three years, there's a there's an old abandoned campground in the in the uh, area around uh, around Gatlinburg that I stumbled onto a few years ago, and it's, and most of the little houses are all ramshackle and, and, and fallen down, but they've been restoring them. But there's still the big meeting hall, you know, where they would have dinners and things. And back then, this is where the rich people would come from Asheville and Atlanta and different places. They'd come, you know, into the mountains in the summer. And they put a railroad in there and uh, they would come and, you know, all the rich people would hobnob one another, you know. And, and so the, the the meeting hall is still... Functional people still rented out, you know, for for private events and things. So it was real interesting. But these camp meetings were a time when uh, when God would just manifest Himself, and people did not know as much about the Holy Spirit then as we do today. It was always in the Bible, but it was something that that people didn't know about. We read last week, you know, the account of the falling exercise in um, in. That was the first thing we were talking about here on my list. The jerking exercise, the jerks, you know, the dancing exercise, and then the barking exercise. Now, when I read about, I heard about the barking exercise a number of years ago. And, uh, and when I heard about it, I thought, well, that was just a bunch of people that just got completely carried away and were in the flesh and it was just nonsense and how ridiculous a thing. There's nothing in the Bible because all these other things you can find in the Bible and we'll show this tonight as we get to them. But the barking, I think that's that's just, that was just the devil got in, you know, but then I read this, this account and, uh, and he said, first of all, he said, it was, it was the scoffers who called it. The barking exercise, and uh, and he said it, it wasn't that at all. It was nothing in it, but what he called the jerks, which is you know uh, dancing in the spirit. And uh, he he talked about this man, uh, a Presbyterian preacher from from East Tennessee. He had gone into the woods for private devotion. I'm reading here and was seized with the jerks. Standing near a sapling, he caught hold of it to prevent his falling, and as his head jerked back, he uttered a grunt or a kind of noise similar to a bark, his face uh, being turned upward. Some wag, that was a new word to me, some wag discovered him in this position and reported that he found had found him barking up a tree. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking about this after I read this last week. You know, go with me over to Romans, the uh, eighth chapter. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. I think it's very likely, I'm not, I don't know, this is just, uh, it could be, that what they were actually experiencing was the groanings of the Spirit. Uh, In the eighth chapter of, of Romans, it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Greek scholars say that what that actually actually says is that it can't be uttered in articulate speech. Now, a lot of times we'll use this passage to to talk about how the Spirit gives utterance. And I always preach it. When I preach it, I say he gives utterance two ways. He can give utterance two ways. One way is in groanings and another way in other tongues. Because we know from the 12th chapter of of, uh, or the 14th chapter of First Corinthians that uh, when I pray with, with my spirit in other tongues, my spirit prays. So the Holy Spirit gives utterance, gives us the ability to utter words in, in, in an unknown language. But here it's talking about the spirit makes intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. It's very possible that what they were experiencing were these un- uh, indecipherable utterances and groanings of the spirit in prayer. And maybe they sounded, <clears throat> remember he said it was the, it was the, the uh, uh, scoffers who, who called it barking. It probably didn't sound like barking at all. They were probably just making these groaning sounds and, and at least that's one explanation. Now somebody might say, well, you know, that's, you can't say that pastor, you don't know that's true. Well, how do you know it's not true? I noticed this early on uh, by being challenged a few times by people that when people are against something, particularly things of the spirit, <clears throat> they really don't have anything, any basis for explaining the word of God. Like I've told you before, I was here once before, you know, after we'd been in, been in this building a few years and a man came up after a service and uh, we had been, worshiping the Lord. The whole church had been worshiping the Lord that morning or that night, whenever it was, in other tongues. And he came up to me after service. I mean, as soon as the the, the message is over, he was right there. He wanted to talk to me. I just want you to know he said this was all out of order. I said it was he said yes this church service was out of order. <clears throat> I said okay tell me about it. He said well the Bible says that that uh that anytime people anytime People speaks in other tongues. There should be an, an interpretation. If there's no interpreter, then let him keep silence. All of this was out of order. I said, "Okay." I said, "Well, tell me." I said, "How how do you how does your church uh, manage speaking with other tongues? What what's the procedure there? How do y'all do it?" He said, "We don't speak in other tongues." I said, "Right I I said, "You really don't know what you're talking about. You have no experience." I found that people who who want to protest and criticize they don't have any spiritual experience that they can say no this is what that is he's and he he came back at me and he said well i i can read my bible i don't have to speak with tongues to know what the bible says about it i said well let me ask you a question you think you could read a book on on driving an 18 wheeler and get behind the wheel and just set out and, and and back the thing up and park it and go around tight corners or tight mountain passes you think you could do that well, no, I said, that's right. It, there's, there's the word, but there's also experience. Sometimes you learn to interpret the word and you see more about what the word is actually saying because of the experience that you have. I mean, you know, you couldn't read a, you couldn't read a book and go out and say, well, I've read a book on flying an F-16. I think I'll get in the cockpit and take off. No, it's going to take more than reading the book. You're going to have to have some experience. Isn't that right? And so people who, who, uh, who criticize sometimes don't have any spiritual experience in the arena that they're criticizing to come back and say, well, no, this is what the Bible means because this has happened to me. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, I would like to say to somebody that says, well, no, that, that couldn't be the groanings. Well, how do you know? Have you ever groaned in the spirit? I'm not talking about because you hit your thumb with a hammer. I'm talking about have you had this experience in prayer where the Holy Spirit began to make intercession through you with groanings that, that you could not utter in articulate speech. Tell me about that. Tell me about how that works. How did you experience that? What's it like? Well, they're dumbfounded. They don't have anything to say. And so we don't base what we believe on experience apart from the word, but experience gives light and gives, and, and gives enlightenment to what we read. And that's true. That's true about anything you read. Isn't that Right? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. So uh, it could be that or it could have been, you know, another explanation. Uh, when we were talking about falling out under the power, you know, people being, there's another expression I don't really particularly care for, but charismatics picked it up. Pentecostals used to use it, being slain in the spirit. And it just means that people would would fall out under the power of God. And we gave examples uh, I think last week did we give examples last week Bible examples when the power of God comes on the scene uh, the, the God's power can overwhelm the natural the supernatural overwhelms the overwhelms the natural realm and people will fall out I you know it can be though that people just get in the habit of falling. It can be that when people are laid and when hands are laid on people, say, in a ministry line, that somebody falls and then everybody thinks, well, I, you know, I'm supposed to fall and people just fall. And there's, the, the power really didn't do it. They're just falling out of habit. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We want the power of God in, man, in, in manifestation. I have laid hands on people. And that I didn't know. People have come to come to the church before that I didn't know. They came up, laid hands on them, and man, they hit the floor like a, like a sack of potatoes. I mean, boom, just went down. Come to find out later, they had never been in a Pentecostal service but they, they, I talked to them later. So I've never seen anything like this. They'd never been in a Pentecostal service. They'd never seen or heard of anybody falling out in the power. So they, you know, they weren't psychologically worked up for it, you know, and, and, and just trying to, to mimic something. They had no idea it was going to happen. They went out and they said that, that they didn't know what happened. The next thing they knew, they opened their eyes and they were on the floor. And God healed them and delivered them. So, so these things are real. Just because we get used to things doesn't mean that they're not valid. Amen. And so, but on the other hand, we need to have scripture for everything we do. We don't need to have anything that we don't have scripture for uh, unless it's there's something that's in line with the scripture. I said, I think last week, Jesus didn't have scripture for spitting on the ground and making a, a mud ball with his spit and the, and the dirt on the ground, putting it in a man's eyes. He didn't have scripture for that. There was no precedent for it, but he did it because he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. He was led by the Spirit to do it. So the Spirit can lead us to do things, but there will be some scripture that you can tie it to. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. This is the truth. Another thing that's uh, that's... Uh, we see some of, a lot of sometimes, is people laughing in church. We call it holy laughter. And uh, I remember in the 1990s, there was a, a sort of a, a move of laughing in the church. There was a big revival up in the Toronto area, and people were laughing, you know, and that got a lot of attention. And, and, uh, uh Rodney Howard Brown from South Africa, he began to tour around the United States and he would have meetings and people just would just be hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people just laughing in church. And it, it, was, a, it was a move of God. Brother Hagan, and his meetings, we had the same thing. We've had it here. But just because God moves in a certain way doesn't mean that it's new. Most of these things have always been around but then there are times when God brings them to, they're just a, he just, he's just moving that way and it's a sign and, and, and a demonstration of God's power. The first time I ever experienced laughing in the spirit, we call it laughing in the spirit, whatever you wanna, however you wanna uh, designate it, uh, was in the mid-1970s. I had gotten back in the fellowship of the Lord in, in 72, late later part of latter part of 72. Started going back to church in, in either the end of that year or first part of, of uh, 1973. Started going back to the Pentecostal church I'd been raised in. And there was a, a revival going on among the young people and the youth in the church, and the charismatic revival was going on, which I had not heard of. Uh, there was also Jesus people. We called them Jesus freaks among the hippie population. Well, it wasn't going along well it wasn't going around in the in the group of hippies I was hanging out with. I didn't hear about it, didn't know anything about it. But I started going back to church. There was other long haired you know, people, you know, young men that were in the church and they were had been hippies and they'd gotten saved on the streets and they were coming, you know, to our little Pentecostal church and and uh, the charismatic re- uh, renewal was going, uh, you know, real strong. And we, us, us young men and and a few young ladies in the church, we uh, we were we were first of all we were faithful to our own church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night was our regular church services. Then we also, I, I led over, after a couple of years, I, I started leading a witnessing team out of the church. And we either met on Monday night or Tuesday night, I don't remember, one of those two nights every week, or we met on Saturdays. And, and on Monday nights or Tuesday nights, when the, the weeknight, we would go around to, to people's houses in, in the community and around the church and most of the time. Uh, and on Saturdays, we would drive around town. Sometimes we'd go down to Hemming Park, you know, in downtown Jacksonville, other times we'd just drive around and, and witness to people. We'd go up to, you know, we'd see some some guys, you know, playing basketball at a, at a city park or something. We'd park and we'd get up and we'd start, you know, shooting hoops with them and play. And then we'd start witnessing to them, you know. So we were very involved in our church. But other nights, I mean, we were, all, we were going someplace all the time. Other nights we would attend some of the charismatic meetings around town. And uh, the charismatic re- renewal was 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 mostly a revival outside the confines of the local church because most local churches weren't open to it. People from every denomination that you can think of were being filled with the Holy Spirit. The classical, traditional denominations that that didn't know anything about the power of God. They were... People their Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, Presbyterians, Episcopals, Lutheran, uh, disciples of Christ. Just every group you could think of, people were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, meetings began to crop up around town and just around the country. The charismatic re- uh, renewal was huge. It was, I didn't know that it actually started in the early 60s. Now, this is in the in the mid-70s. It had spread all around the world, and uh, and so there were there were venues, big conferences. I mean, the, the Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship International was one of the big uh, organizations that was involved in this, and they would have their conventions, and there'd be thousands of thousands of people there. And then they had local chapters and and state you know or, uh, events and local events. And then there were other charismatic. There was two there were two churches in Jacksonville, Southside Assembly of God, and a a it was either, it was either a, an Episcopal church or a Lutheran church. I don't remember now. I never went over there. But they, they embraced the charismatic movement and Southside Assembly of God embraced it. All the other Pentecostal denominations wanted nothing to do with it. The, the charismatic movement was completely shunned by Pentecostals because charismatics didn't look like us. You know, the, the, the Pentecostal organizations, Pentecostal churches had come out of the holiness movement. And uh, and the holiness crowd, you know, the women looked like old hags. I mean, even the young women looked pitiful. And uh, no makeup was—you couldn't wear makeup, couldn't wear jewelry, couldn't cut your hair—long hair, you know, uh, rolled up, piled up, hanging down. I don't know. You know, just and 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 the women—the women looked like their husbands' mother. They they really did. And, uh, and and uh, long dresses, long sleeves. Couldn't have, couldn't go to church, you know, with a with a sleeveless uh, outfit on, and uh, very plain. Well, the charismatics, you know, they were they were professional people and business people and people from the from the from the mainline denominations, and, and, and they they dressed stylishly, you know, and and and, and the women had, had, I mean, they had they had war paint on. <laughs> That's what we called it, you know, war paint. Women put on that war paint. I, I had a pastor come one time to the church I was in. He come in he, and he preached and he said, "I'm my God, he said, there's more gold in this place. Because our church had begun to become, become a little more progressive in the mid, uh, late 60s and the early 70s. He said, there's more gold in this place than in the, than Moses' time. You can make a, a molten calf, you know, out of all the gold that you women are wearing. So he railed on it, you know. But uh, so the the Pentecostals didn't like the looks of the Charismatics. They couldn't possibly have the Holy Ghost and have on makeup. (laughs) So they shunned it. But Southside Assembly, they embraced it. They saw that God was in it. And so one particular night, uh, there was an evangelist had had started a revival at Southside Assembly of God. And he was a a fairly well-known evangelist at the time. And uh, the, they had outgrown the service. Now Southside Assembly was the largest Pentecostal church in Jacksonville. Their auditorium seated, you know, several thousand people. They had outgrown the auditorium, so they had put a tent up outside, a very large tent, and they moved the services outside. Well, you know, we went over there on on a weeknight, and there was—I think there were four of us, might have been three, three or four of us guys—went over there, and uh, I had never even heard. Of laughter, holy laughter, or laughing of the spirit. I'd never heard of it. I'd never thought of it. It didn't happen in our church. It just just never occurred to me. Well, they it, 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 uh, they had praise and worship, you know, and it was it was a, a good crowd, you know, on a, on a, even on a weeknight. So they they received the offering that night and they put some buckets down along around the front. And encourage people to get up and come down and bring their offering down to the front. Well, you know, that was the thing that people did. I'd seen that before. I don't know if somebody uh, conducted a study and they found out they'd get more offering if they had people get up out of their seat. I don't know what was behind it. But it wasn't. It wasn't presented as if it was a move of the spirit. It was just another way to receive the offering. I think maybe the idea was get people up and get them smiling, talking to one another, and make it the offering kind of kind of a fun time. You know, maybe people will give more. I don't know. But people came down to the front and they were putting their offering. And when they put their offering in, they'd fall out under the power. And and the evangelist he got up and and people people were stacked on top of each other. I mean, the aisles were crammed with people falling all over the place. They couldn't even get up to the front. They'd get up close to the front with their offering and they'd fall out under the power. And the evangelist got up and he said, folks, he said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. He said, this is, when people start falling out under the power of giving an offering, you know it's God. <laughs> and my friends and I, we were standing back there. So, so I took my offering. And I marched down to the front. You know, I've managed to get down one of the aisles where there wasn't anybody in the floor, you know. And and I put my offering in the bucket. Nothing happened. I didn't fall. And people were laughing. The people that fell out were laying on the floor laughing. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And and, and the evangelist, he said, you know, when people are falling out and laughing during an offering, you know, that's got to be God. And so nothing happened. I didn't fall out. Didn't expect to. And got back to my seat and, and, and I, you know, there's something amusing about people laughing. La- when people are la- really a hearty laugh, it's contagious. It's just flat funny. Okay. That's why they have laugh tracks on, on comedy shows on TV. Cause if you didn't have that, you wouldn't laugh at half of the stuff that goes on. Laughter is, is contagious. Well, it was kind of comical. And I remember I walked back to my seat and I was just kind of amazed at what was going on. And when I turned, I came up the aisle like this and, and my friends were standing about halfway in that short aisle, on that short row there. And when I turned to step into that row, suddenly I was just overcome with laughter. And I had no explanation. And, and I, I guess I had this big look on, you know, like my eyes. And I'm just suddenly, I'm roaring in laughter And one thing I realized is this is the Holy Ghost. Because a second before, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't thinking. I mean, I saw people laughing. I was kind of chuckling because it was funny. But I sensed, I sensed the Holy Ghost come on me. And even though I was young in the Lord, I realized this is, this is, this is of the Spirit. And I was, and and I remember Ralph was standing there, my friend Ralph. He was looking at me like, what in the world is wrong, wrong with you? And then he started laughing. And so that was, that was my first experience. It was, it was the Spirit of God came on me. I didn't work it up, didn't try to laugh. I wasn't wanting to be like those people, you know, didn't interest me. I thought it was kind of amusing, but that was all. And suddenly, just like you snapped your finger, I am just overwhelmed and overcome in laughter. And I laughed and tears flowing down my face. And I'm just laughing. And it was a very glorious time. It's the first time I'd experienced that. Didn't experience it again for a number of years. You know, you say, well, does God do that? Well, look at Genesis, the 21st chapter. Genesis 21. Could that be God? You know, if, if it's not God, we don't need to be doing it. That's right. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, this is verse 1, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his own age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, now, there's a note in my Bible that said the name Isaac literally means laughter. So he called Isaac, laugh, he called his son, he named him Laughter. Gave him the name Isaac and, it's, and it meant laughter. Then it tells us why he did that. Then Abraham, uh, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. That means Sarah was 90 years old. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age, and I might add, in her old age. But she said, God has made me laugh. So does God make people laugh? Well, evidently, yes. He made her laugh. And then we know from from, uh, the 126th Psalm, turn over there, Psalm 126. Now, people might not understand and very often people don't understand, but remember, they mocked. People on the day of Pentecost too, Amen. So sometimes that can you can be in good company if you're being mocked. Psalm one twenty six says, "When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing." Now nobody gets all bent out of shape when people sing in church, but here it says their mouth was filled with laughter. And their tongue with singing. So if it's okay to sing in church. It must be okay to laugh in church. If God. If the spirit of God comes on you. In laughter. Yield to it. Just yield to it. There's a purpose for it. Amen. And uh, all of these manifestations. And demonstrations of the spirit. Bring refreshing. And people need spiritual Refreshing. People that, that their Christian life is just so uh, uh, analytical and dry and formal, they need joy in their life. They need refreshing in their life. And these, all of these things bring refreshing. And so there's laughing. Uh, and so that was my first experience with that, and I've, and I've experienced it many times since then. Uh, and then my next one on my list, on the next one on my list, list is dancing. Now you've heard me tell you about what happened in 1983 when I went out to uh, the Holy Spirit Seminar, on the Rhema Campus. A pastor friend of mine uh, called me on a Wednesday, and he said, "Edwin, he said you need to come out here. He said something has broken. Revival has broken out on the on the Rhema Campus." And he and I had both been to Bible school there at the same time back in 1979 and 1980. He said, something's happened here. He said, there's a tremendous revival. He said, you ought to try to come out. So that was on a Wednesday. And uh, so on Thursday, I flew to, to Tulsa. And this friend and, and the two men that were with him from his church went and picked me up, brought me out, got a room next door to their room in, in, in the hotel. And uh, so we got into the services and it was just a, a tremendous move of God. Oh, it was just a glorious time. And uh, on one of those services, I don't remember which one. I don't think it was the first service. I think it, we got there. I got there on Thursday night and the thing was over Saturday, I think. And so, uh, you know, I only got in three or four services. But uh, everybody was just standing up and praising God and and uh, the whole, the, the auditorium was full. There was about 2,000 people in there and they had other rooms on the campus that were full of people. People had come from all over the country and even some people had come internationally and it just sort of happened. There wasn't any big push for people to come. They just showed up. And a lot of uh, well-known ministers were there. And so this particular time, David Ingalls is up at the, uh, you know, the piano and he's playing and people are worshiping. And, and you look out over the, over the auditorium, people are on their feet praising God. Nobody that I remember, I didn't see anybody dancing in the spirit like like Pentecostals do. I'd grown up in a Pentecostal church. And uh, when people danced in the spirit, they also jerked like this uh, camp meeting uh, described. And I wanted nothing to do with it. To me, it was embarrassing. It was ridiculous. Uh, It was completely unsophisticated. And the last thing I would I would want would be for any of my friends to know to I, that I went to a church where people acted like that, because people would make fun of that kind of stuff. And so I just I never let on the, that that I went to a church like that. So uh, when I got back in the fellowship, with the Lord and got filled with the Holy Spirit, and we started you know started going back to that church. There was two or three there were two or three people in the church, and they when the Spirit would move, they'd get up and dance in the Holy Ghost, you know. And because I was in love with Jesus, I was in love with with Jesus' people. I was in love with Christians. And uh, even though they seemed kind of square to me, you know, I I, I loved them. And I remember my friends and I, Ralph and David and John, some of us, you know, after church, we'd say something like, oh, boy, Brother Jesse really got, Brother Jesse Ellington, Brother Jesse really got happy tonight. We'd laugh. We thought it was great for Jesse. Understand? It's good for Jesse. We're we're just delighted that Jesse got blessed. But I had zero interest in that because to me it was just unsophisticated and and uh, I didn't I just didn't like the way it looked. And so we were out at the, at the Rama meeting that night, and my my David Dunning was standing beside me. He's a pastor up in, in Savannah now, and and I put my arm around him like this, just to sort of hug his neck, you know. And i had I think I talked about this recently. I had just a slight impulse, just a slight not a not a big leading or anything, just a slight impulse to just jump like this. i mean uh, you know i'm I'm a white guy, I can't jump, you know, so I just jump like that and and that's all I you know and that and and i I had my arm around him, you know around his around his shoulder. And I, and I think I jumped twice, no more than three times. And I was still holding on to him. And he would, had his arm around my shoulder, you know. But on that second or third jump, you know, I mean, it took like a half a second for me to leave the floor and come back. You know, it was like that. From the time I went up until the time when I, my toes hit the floor, I was in the spirit. Suddenly I was in a cloud. This cloud just came up around me and I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see the people in front of me I couldn't see I could see David, but that was as far as I could see, about two and a half feet. and it seemed like the sound I couldn't see anybody, but I could hear the 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 praise and, and the shouting. But have you ever been in, in a in a like a big arena, a uh, big uh, coliseum or something, and there's something loud going on, and you go out in the corridor to go to the bathroom when you close the door, it sounds like it's far off. Suddenly, the sound of the room sounded like it was far off. I could hear it, but it sounded like it was way over there somewhere. I was just in this cloud. And without any uh, impulse, without any direction, I just found myself dancing. I don't know how. It wasn't like I felt led to dance, so I think I'll dance. You know, I didn't, I didn't yield to the dancing consciously. I yielded when I took that little leap and God took me on. It was like I had nothing to do. I just found myself dancing in the spirit. So I realized then that all of this that I'd been sort of making fun of or not, you know, when I was younger and when I was older, I just kind of, you know, laughed it off. I realized that's not just emotion. That, that's a move of the spirit. Because I was caught up in the glory of God. I, I the glory of the Lord was all around me and I couldn't see anything for that glory. And I'm dancing in the spirit. And my friend, we're still holding on to each other. And he's dancing in the spirit. The two of us like this. We got each other around the around the shoulder, and we're just dancing. And I don't know how long that lasted. But finally that cloud lifted and we we looked around and the chairs around us were kind of knocked around, you know. And people around us were going like this. They're like Now, Dad Hagen talks about a meeting in the early 80s where the auditorium was full. He said there were hundreds of people dancing in the Spirit. That might have been that meeting, and I just didn't realize that it was going on in other parts of the room. I don't know. But the people around us thought it was kind of strange. And we just kind of stood there and looked at each other like, what in the world just happened? But it was so liberating. It was so refreshing. I remember Angela drove, do you remember where you met us? I drove by, I flew out there, but I drove back with David and his, and his men in his church into Georgia and you drove up there and met us, Tifton or someplace like that. And the first thing I said to her when she, when she drove, I don't know if you remember this, I said, you'll never believe what happened to me. She said, what? I said, I danced in the Holy Ghost. She went, oh, brother, <laughs> like, are you serious? You did what? Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, these things in the spirit are real. Amen. Another thing that you see, another demonstration of the spirit is drunkenness. On the day of Pentecost, they, when the spirit was poured out, They must have been exhibiting some behavior that looked like they were drunk because when Peter got up to preach, he said, these are not drunk as you suppose seeing it's only nine o'clock in the morning. He said, this is what the prophet Joel talked about in the last days. So it's the Holy Ghost. So something happened on that day beside the speaking with other tongues. Just having people speaking in other tongues doesn't make people think you're drunk because they recognize the languages They heard the languages being spoken, so uh, it it was an amazing thing that people were speaking all these languages, but there was no reason to think they were drunk unless they were exhibiting some kind of drunkenness. Same thing happened. When these things have happened to me, they've always caught me off guard. The laughing caught me off guard. I wasn't prepared for it, wasn't thinking about it, wasn't looking for it, wasn't looking to dance, didn't want to dance. If you'd have asked me, I'd have gone the other way. But I found myself dancing in the Spirit. I went down to Reggie Scarborough's church one time. And I'll tell the story real quick. And, and Dad Hagen was holding one of his Holy Ghost meetings there. And it was a night where there was a lot of hilarity. People were laughing in the Spirit. And people were shouting and running and dancing in the Spirit. And you know, when, when, you're, when you believe in these things, they don't offend you. In fact, you want to get in on them. And that particular night, I just couldn't get in the flow. People were dancing and they were laughing, and you know when people are laughing in the spirit, you, you try to kind of get in on it, you know, it's ha ha ha, ha 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 it was just flat. I couldn't connect at all. There was no unction, no nothing. And I was kind of disappointed because everybody seemed like they were just being so gloriously blessed, and I just couldn't get that flow. And so the service was over. They had dismissed the service. It finally came to an end. And I wanted to talk to Marty Blackwelder. He was part of Rayma Singers and Band at the time, part of the crusade team. He was on the platform. And I don't remember what it was I wanted to talk to him about, but I was waiting to talk to him. But I didn't want to go up on the platform. I was going to wait because I knew he would come off the platform in a few minutes. And so I'm, I'm standing. They had pews in their church. They didn't have seats like this. They had pews in the middle section and a long section of pews. And I was back on the second on the end, say on that end of the second or third row, and I'm just watching Marty you know service is over, it had been over for a while, and Marty's not coming off the platform he's still up, he's talking to somebody and the the auditorium was thinning out. This is an auditorium that seated about twelve hundred people, and uh there was maybe maybe a 150, 200 people left. So the the auditorium was thinning out. People were leaving. It was a night service. And I'm just standing back there watching Marty. I said, well, surely he's going to quit talking in a minute. And when he comes down, I'll talk to him. And I'm watching him. I'm not talking to him. Now, cool was there. He was standing nearby because he and and I were driven together. And uh, I'm just, he was waiting on me and I'm waiting on Marty. I'm just standing there watching, you know, Marty. And all of a sudden, Marty, he's on the platform and he just ran and jumped off the platform over something, hit the floor, ran to the to the second or third row. Marty likes to run on chairs. You ever remember, you remember that he likes to he likes to walk on the chair. He jumped a couple of chairs, and there was a pastor friend of mine from Ohio, Caminetti. the Caminetti, well, uh, Mike Caminetti, and his and Barb Mike and Barb Caminetti were standing at the other end of this long row of you know this pew. I'm at the other end there, and I'm just watching this. I'm kind of amazing. Marty comes flying over the. I mean, just leaped off and ran, just as fast as you can imagine, just jumped up on the chair. And he, he likes to get on the chairs, you know. He lays his hands on on Barb and 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 uh, and uh, Mike. And I'm just I'm an innocent bystander. I was on the, I was on the other end of the pew. Wait, it was a long pew. I'm down there just kind of watching this. Not involved at all, and the service is over. People are leaving, and most people have left. When he laid his hands on them, the power of God hit me over there. I wasn't expecting, and as fast as you can snap your finger, I mean, that fast, I was completely drunk. I had never been drunk in the spirit. I'd been drunk in the natural before, but I had never been drunk in the spirit. I wasn't, the service was over. I keep stressing that because you have to understand, you're not expecting anything because church is over. That happens in church. Church is over. When he jumped up on that pew and laid his hands on them, the power of God hit me over there and I was instant. I don't mean I got drunk. I didn't get drunk. I just suddenly was falling and I fell flat in the floor. I was I was as drunk as I had ever been on alcohol. And I remember sometimes on alcohol where I crawled around the parking lot. I went to a I went to a team dance one time with my friends, and there were three of us in this pickup truck, and one one of the three was steering, and the uh, one of the three I don't remember who was was it was that you know f- three on the column was doing the gear shift, and the other one was giving the gas and the clutch, and we were weaving all over the place, and we got to that the, that north side teen center and we opened the door and just fell out on the ground just fell out on the pavement i was every bit that drunk that night every bit that drunk and it didn't like i said it didn't gradually come on me and i wasn't expecting it and, and church is over that's what amazed me church is over this doesn't happen after church i was so drunk i fell in the floor and 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 it got on ike he he got drunk at the same time and the two of us it's, the church has got this kind of sloping, you know, ele- you know floor that goes up the back. We, we crawled, literally crawled on our hands and knees as drunk as a skunk. I mean, drunk. And along the way, there were a few pastor friends of ours that, you know, had stuck around. They were talking to people. And there, this happened like a couple of three times back up this long, it was many, many roads. We'd crawl around and we'd fall out you know, on our back and our feet are up in the air. We're laughing. We'd try to get up and we'd stagger around. We'd fall on the floor. We'd crawl. Finally, I come up on the Dubois, Tom and, and Patty and They were sitting on the end of one, of about halfway back talking to somebody and I crawled up to them. Ah, oh, I'm laughing and they started laughing. So we had this little revival right there, you know. They started laughing. And then I went back a little bit further and I found somebody else. But I remember look I remember looking out over the crowd over here because it was big section of church over here, and I remember people looking at me. The expression on their face was, "Dude, church is over." <laughs> okay, okay, we had a great service. Now you're just trying to prolong things. Do churches that's that was the look on their face was like. Church is over. We've had we've had a nice night. We're all going home now. You need to straighten up. What they realized didn't realize is I hadn't had such a nice night. I was get, I got in on it late, but I remember the and I and that made me laugh. When I saw the expression on people's face. That made me laugh even that much more. We got we made our way to the back. They had doors that that a group a lot you know a long section several sections of doors that opened out into the circular. Uh, you know, uh, lobby in the the hallway that went around the church. We got up and we pushed on the doors on our hands and knees and kind of half got out and fell out into the lobby. (laughs) And we laid there for a while and and we made our way to the exterior doors and it was beginning to lift a little bit. So we got up, we staggered out and got in the car. And I was supposed to be meeting Cindy. Were you there? her and Cindy, she was with Cindy and, and the youth I think I don't know there was a bunch of people Then we were late because we had gotten sauced and, and they were waiting on us didn't know where we were we got, we got in the car and said I, I can't drive he said well they, you know it was beginning to lift a little bit we were still pretty pretty looped and I said okay well i think I think I can drive now, so we backed the car out, got out of the parking lot, ran over the curb when i when I turned out of the parking lot into the street, I ran over the corner of the curb, and i said Pastor, you go, you 're going to have to straighten up this this is I mean, we're looking we 're both looking around for the police we 're going to get arrested and, and fortunately you know for for safety, you know that kind of lifted up and we we made our way on to the to the uh, Restaurant, But my point is, I wasn't expecting it because church was over. You know, that part was done. And I'm telling you, there is a refreshing in the spirit. And all of these things, and on the day of Pentecost, you say, well, what's the scripture? On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, these are not drunk as you suppose. So they supposed they were drunk. All of these things happen to refresh us. And so we need to learn to yield to the Spirit. But you have to have a desire for the things of the Spirit. Well, in my case, I didn't have any desire for the dancing, but I yielded. I didn't know what I was yielding. I didn't know the significance of that yielding. I just simply yielded to that real, real subtle impulse to jump. And and if you'll yield to the Spirit of God just a little bit, He'll take you on.